Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. And have we got a treat for you today? I say that a lot, and it's always true. Um, we have uh, Kate. Kate Tom, and welcome to the show, Kate. Hi. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I just feel that it, I, I'm, I'm building it up, aren't I? But I'm a bit Graham Norton. Graham Norton is a chat show here in the UK, and it's and it's it's all it's all built up. But it's built up for you, uh, Kate, today. So, Kate, listeners, Kate is uh, an adopted mum. And she also runs a school um, where all the all the all the pupils, all the kids at the school, um, have experienced early life trauma. And uh, the core of the uh, the kids in her school are are adopted. And um, we're trying to think of a, a different a, a different approach for the podcast today to to focus in on um, something that Kate said to me about what the parents of her kids say to her when no one else is listening right so um they're, when they're uh, when when they're at breaking point and that was the phrase uh, that was the phrase that, that Kate came up with Kate, Kate came up with so i thought well w- what about doing an episode that is all about uh helping adoptive parents who are at breaking point um so yeah what do you what do you see kate with those um that's going on for those for those parents at breaking point yes i think you know the the biggest and, and most common theme is that um it's that lack of support and where do i turn and who do i go to um and I think with the best will in the world, you know, and, I, you know, there's been lots of podcasts about support and and what is out there for adoptive parents. But the reality is that majority of parents, adoptive and non-adoptive, do not know where to go to get the right support at the right time. So we get to that point where we become very insular because often it's about shame for us as parents as well and not wanting to admit that, it's not going as perfectly as we wanted it to go. So we get to the point where, do I turn to people? Do I ask professionals for help? Is it okay to acknowledge that my children aren't as wonderful as I thought they might be and love's not quite enough? Um, And then when I do get to that point that I need some help, where do I go for that help? And parents come and by the time they do get to that point that they They've just got to ask for somebody out. They get to that point where they go, I wish I could give them back. And that's so heartbreaking to hear. Um, and for me, my my first response, and obviously they will often come to me because they know I know both sides of that coin because I'm an adoptive parent as well as being that professional, um, is if you'd have given birth, would you be saying, I wish I could put my child into care? And obviously, no, they wouldn't be saying that. And it's just that, at that point, they are at breaking point and they have no other way to turn than I've made a really bad decision here. And they obviously haven't. It's just that, you know, they are in that block care. They've got exhaustion. They're just totally at their wit's end. Yeah. And are they? Um, yeah, there's so much, so much there. Um, there's so much there. In In that point, though, like when when I'm uh, facing a challenge of, of that of that magnitude, I, I 
I would guess that I would look outside me because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing my internal resources at all. So, you know, going insular, is that what you meant by going insular? You're kind of like, you, you, you're going in on yourself? I don't know. I don't know whether I'm making so it. It's, it's, it's almost like a stage thing that happens is that when things start to go wrong first, it's almost a human nature thing that we don't talk to people because it's that shame that makes us go, no, no, I can do this. I can manage this. I've I've been told all these things during my, you know, my adoption preparation courses, et cetera, et cetera. I can do this. And you don't want to tell anybody else because you don't want people to think you failed because as humans, we don't like to fail. So it is that that's what I was thinking about becoming insular is that you almost close your door in the early stages when actually the early stages is the best time to get that help. Um, so then you get the stage where actually you've, you've done so much of that yourself. You then become exhausted as the parent carer and then you then get blocked care where you just can't see what the right way is or you you make some decisions that actually impact more negatively on what's happening but you can't see that that's what's happening so it is such a vicious circle going around and around um so yeah so it's you know that knowing when's the right time to ask for help and when is the right time to say no actually I can do this yeah so it's almost like knowing that there is that process um uh freezers yes. it's like it, it uh, and i'm thinking of that that uh the kubler ross curve elizabeth kubler ross yeah. the, uh, the grief curve like kind of um knowing that you're going to go through the the phrases uh, g- going through the phases she doesn't say how long you have to stay in each phase no. right? you know you can no. you can you can go you can we can be stuck in one phase for three years or yeah. one minute Right. So I still miss my best mate, Matty, who died like 22 years ago, 22 and a half years. Yeah. I still miss him. Right. So it seems that there is a, that, that you're alluding to a, a process and you're alluding to a process before we started recording, you know, like stuff that's going yeah, on with you. Absolutely. And, I, and so knowing that there's a process, know that we're going to come, you know, and the hope that we're going to come out of the process yeah. is, is for me where the, you know, we can see the light light at the end of the at the end of the tunnel um, and that acknowledgement that there is a process and there'll be things that trigger us to go back in that process and there'll be times and there are things that we'll feel like we've come out of that process but there'll be something that just hits that button and we go backwards in that process and yeah. that's okay it's okay for that to happen because next time we'll come out of that slightly quicker because we know what the stages are and how we'll feel during those stages. And each and every time, like you talking about your friend, it's been a lot of years and now you know what that feeling feels like and you can manage that better within yourself. And that's exactly the same being a parent to to an adopted child because we know how those triggers are and we learn how that makes us feel as parents because ultimately it does. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's funny because I'm painting this uh, once and done <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm painted this once and done um, gentle throw through the process and as soon as you say that I think as soon as you said that we go back and forth it's just like yeah that's the truth that's the truth of it yeah. um, and it, it's something that I'm kind of learning at, at the moment is the difference between what we think is learning 
and uh, you know what we what we think learning is and what it is in reality yeah, yeah absolutely so, so i think i for me the uh, the metaphor that came to this the learning that came to this was the um learning to ride a bike right so you don't forget it no right? and that's how we think we know once we know that two times two is is four yeah um, then we know that and and, and it's never going to go away from us once we've learned to ride a bike we, we, it's with yeah. us forever but this sort of stuff this deeper stuff where we have moments of complete meltdown and then moments of clarity and moments of hope that isn't that isn't a once and done thing it, it, yeah. it's flipping back and i and i'm i, I thought i'd got that but i i clearly haven't because i i oversimplified it <laughs> into this nice gentle process lights at the end of the tunnel listeners simon's telling you that the grass is going to be greener on the other side well, the, the the grass does get greener on the other side, and then it goes back to yeah a bit of yellow, scrubby, horrible, knackered stuff when like the sun's been on it for for three months and we haven't had any um, we haven't had any rain. I like to think of it more like the growth of a tree, in that you know every year our trees grow and they have these beautiful blossoms of of, of blossom going on and our blossom drops and that's a little thing that happens but behind that there's some beautiful green leaves and then every autumn our leaves fall off and actually we've got some really you know not pretty branches there but actually they're there for a reason then we have another new growth you know so it's more like a cycle of growth that's going on um rather than kind of a curve that happens you know so not necessarily the grass are greener, but the trees' leaves are greener on the other side and they'll be green for quite a lovely amount of time, but they will drop at some point. Yeah. And it's knowing that they will come back. Yeah, yeah. So when did you first see that? Or have you have you seen that with your own experience of raising your own kids? Absolutely, you know. And, it, you know, as I said to you when we first spoke, is that, you know, I do this day in, day out in a professional capacity. And naively, I thought, yeah, it'd be fine with my children, but it's very, very different when it's at home, you know, and the, those triggers. And, you know, I thought, you know, I'll see this coming, but absolutely, you know, I got to a point with my son in particular where um, his focus is all pointed at me. And I'm thinking, why, why? And why is not a word I usually use at all. I'm like, where was my wondering? Where was my curiosity? Actually, I needed an answer. And again, that was where I'd got to the point where I was blocked and I just needed an answer. Um, and I had to take myself away from that for a little while and just say to my husband, thankfully, you know, I'm in a lucky position where there is, you know, two of us at home. I was able to say to him, OK, just for a couple of days, I need you to be the, the, the front person here so I can just step away and be curious within myself because answers aren't necessarily what's always going to happen. Curiosity is the key. And... Every little bit of curiosity and wondering helps us because our children don't give straight answers. Their behaviour doesn't give straight answers. And what we get from them today will not be what we get from tomorrow. And even the, the beginning and the end of the day is not the same. So wanting a set, secure set of answers will never work with our children. And children as a whole, really, not not even just children with trauma. That's That's real for all children. So I kind of, I got to that blocked care with, with my little boy where I I need me, I needed the answers, but I didn't know why I needed the answers. I didn't know what I would do with those answers. I just needed it. 
Um, so I totally understand where all parents get to when they're so frustrated at everything I'm doing, but I'm doing this and I'm doing this and it's just not working. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a fantastic juxtaposition in in what you're talking about from um and and I've I've seen it I I think I've seen it in myself with yeah because me and my wife haven't got any kids but I've seen it in business right um so I had this coach and um and she never told me what to do like people like, people think of a, a coach you think of a, a, a football coach right that's the most obvious kind of or sports coach we say. Uh, and, and 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 the idea is that the coach tells the players what to do. Uh, um, uh, she, he is prowling up and down the, um, the what do they call it, the technical area by the side of the pitch, and they're telling people what to do. Um, and that's what we think of as a coach. My coach in, in business was exactly the opposite. She never, ever told me what to do. Um, she just asked me questions um, because I, I she, she, so she was just asking me questions. And, but I remember one conversation with her. I said, look, I know that you never give me any, uh, you never tell me what to do. You never give me any answers whatsoever, but there's something I'm missing here. Um, uh, so could you tell, could you just tell me what you think I'm missing? And, and she said, uh, well, I, again, what should I do? And, and she said, um, make sure that your staff are all trained to do what you want them to do. And I just thought, that is just so pointless. It's such a, it, it's such a catch-all saying. I can, say, I can see now why she never tells people what to do. Because that's just like, well, the, you know, that, how, how long is a piece of string? Yeah. How, how good is good? You know what? What training is you know, like? What? Nah, nah, nah. I mean, it, it was just a, a, a nothing of a thing. But I, I was desperate. So the, the juxtaposition that I saw in uh, that I heard in what you said was the juxtaposition between desperation. Just tell me what to do. Yeah, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm listening to, I'm, and I'm thinking about the, the. I'm thinking about the listener listening. Yeah, absolutely. The, the listener listening to this. Yes, Simon. Uh, yes, Kate, I say that, but just tell me what to do. Yeah. Like, we can't tell you what to do other than to get curious because when I was in that place of desperation, just tell me what to do, the advice that I got was pointless. It was pointless from, from this, this one. Now, I, I achieved a lot of great things with that, with, with that business coach, but it was it, it was it was always prompted by insights that she drew out of me. Yeah. And whenever I get anywhere near this subject, uh, I think of, um, I think of the one year's Latin that I did with, uh, with, uh, with Mrs. Edwards, I think she was called. She was quite a flaky teacher. And we really, we were, uh, as 30 lads, 11 year old lads, we were really bad on her. We saw, we saw her weakness, right. Okay. And we went for it. But somehow I managed to do okay, actually, in that one year of Latin. I got like 70 odd percent. But I gave it up for German, which was far tougher. Anyway, Latin, the word educate comes from, well, have you heard of this? Have you heard this one? Where the no. word educate, right? It comes from the Latin educare. Okay. Right? So uh, uh, an educare means to draw out of people. Okay. 
Makes sense. does not mean to tell them what to do. It does not mean to stuff information into kids' heads or stuff information into adoptive parents' heads. Yeah. Or stuff anything, any information to anybody. It's to draw out. And you know, and I I obviously talk I often talk about this like uh, what 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 draws out what draws out the answer from within us is is that is that um that hook like thing that, that that's at the end of a question. Yeah. A, a question mark and that and that draws stuff Absolutely. out of us and we see what to do. If we're coming from a place of curiosity, so on one hand, you've got this desperation. Just tell me what to do. This is me saying to the business, just tell me what to do. And then her uh, and, and, and her advice didn't work. But most of the time, all the time, she sent me, asked me questions and she drew out my insights. Yeah. So, uh, so desperation or curiosity. Are you, if you're coming from desperation, yeah, um, uh, you, you're going to be short of, short of answers aren't you you're not going to come up with answers you need that kind of perspective like you said you had a couple of days away from being the at the at the at the front of the of the of the the, the caring parents your, your husband stepped into the room you got a bit of perspective that allowed you breathing space that allowed you space for new ideas to come in from a place of curiosity and yeah. definitely not desperation Absolutely. And I think during that time when when I was thinking about you know being curious with myself, and I think the first person I had to be curious with was myself was, why do I need these answers? You know, I wonder what I'm seeking from getting these answers right now. Um, I think in in thinking about that, again, it came from a place of caring because I wanted him to be okay. But actually then realising that the answers wouldn't make that okay because, you know, it's not a magic wand and I'm not going to be able to to heal that trauma overnight. And actually, even if I could, it's not the healing of the trauma. It's actually living with that and moving forward that is the key. It's not about let's have some magic therapy that's going to heal that here and now. It's the let's live with that and work with that and and learn from that healing rather than the magic wand off we go here it is now and I think that was kind of the point where I thought okay let's work with him and think about how he's feeling and move forward from there yeah um so I heard a podcast this morning um and it was about I think it was I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to tune it into our context here today it was quite in, counterintuitive, but it sounded a bit like what you said. It's basically accepting what is. Yeah. So if we're fighting, um, if we're fighting, uh, if we're fighting, then we're not accepting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It, you know, the bottom line is it all comes back to that pace model that actually if we accept it, we're curious with it and we're empathetic to the way that that makes that person feel. What's, the, what's the pace model? So Dan Hughes um, is, um, Dr. Dan Hughes yeah. um, is a model of pace, which stands for play, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy. And that's the core, uh, the core ethos to which I set up the, the school on. 
Um, it's the core ethos to how I parent my children. Um, so we are very, very playful. Um, we are very accepting of, of everything that happens. Um, that doesn't mean that we choose to ignore the behaviours that come with that. It means that we accept the behaviours and then we work with those behaviours to be curious where those behaviours have come from and actually that if a consequence is required, it's a very natural consequence. So, for example, you know, very extreme, but if a computer gets broken, then we can't use a computer for a while because we don't have one. Um, whereas, you know, if, if we break... Um, a window, for example, we wouldn't lose a computer because they're not connected. That would make no sense at all. Um, and that also works a lot around that repair and reflection um, in that, you know, what whatever happens, we accept these things happen. So we always repair from them. Nothing's ever left. You know, so there's none of that kind of shame there. Yeah. Um, and that's part of that empathy. So making sure that it is empathy and not sympathy. So we stay with them in their feelings for a while and then work through them rather than that kind of, you know, being very sympathetic with that feeling. Um, and empathy and sympathy are quite, it's quite a trick to get to understand the difference between empathy and sympathy because as humans, we go instinctively to sympathy. Whereas actually empathy is genuinely walking in that person's shoes for a while and understanding how that might feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to take you back to the. I, I was gonna. I was gonna go into kind of parenting stuff there. Actually, um, uh, I just. I just. I started, so I finished. So I'll just go into that. So, do you, when you say about um, curiosity, I, I are you saying really that sometimes you'll ask? I got the feeling that you would. You would. You it. That's what you do with your kids. You point them upstream. And so, oh, I wonder why you did that. Absolutely. Wonder is a is a word we use in our house all the time. Um, to the point where my little girl, who is 10, will now say, Mum, I know you're going to start wondering about this now, um, which is quite funny to hear her saying. Um, but, yeah, absolutely, we talk about that all the time and say, hmm, I wonder why that happened or I wonder what you were thinking just then. Um, so just trying to help them to understand what was going on for them at that time um, rather than, you know, I think, again, that natural thing was going, why did that happen? Give me an answer. And, you know, but it's not necessarily about giving an answer. Um, something me and my husband do quite a lot, um, which comes from um, the dyadic developmental model um, we, which is something I'm trained in is we will often wander out loud between each other with the children in the room so we will kind of have a very wondering conversation which the children are very good at going no or hmm okay so you always know kind of you know so we will have that wondering conversation between the two of us so we're not actually directing it at the children so you know if something happens where you know they've made made a poor choice I, I will often say to my husband Oh, I'm guessing that, that uh, you know, when say my child's name, I'm guessing he feels really sad right now and that his tummy might be feeling a little bit icky because he's made a poor choice and he's not sure how to talk to us about it. And then my husband would come back with something like, hmm, I think I might feel a bit icky if I'd chosen to do that too. So 
Um, but he knows that we're here if he would like to come and talk to us about it and we could make a choice about what happens next. So we all kind of have that conversation with him in earsight so that he knows it's a safe space to come and talk to us and he knows we already know. So he hasn't got to own anything. He hasn't got to come and, and go, I've done this, because he knows we already know. Yeah. So that curiosity is amazing. It's amazing, yeah. Um, I'm modelling it, right? You know, being doing it yourself. Um doing it yourself rather than because kids what i don't think we can hear that enough you know the fact that kids kids do do what we do not what we absolutely. say absolutely yeah absolutely um, and yeah uh so I, I i'm figuring a couple of rabbit holes that i could go down there so i'm but i'm not going to go down i'm going to bring it back to the, <laughs> the main idea so one of the things that you said right at the top of the conversation is that is that support support thing yeah um and again going outside for external support and i uh, the the idea that flashed into my head then was a conversation that i had with a a, a, a researcher in 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 trauma um and i asked her this question I'd heard something, I'd heard a podcast that said that um, 10, this is, so most, a lot of trauma research and PTSD research comes from yeah. American, America, America and, and, and military, right? Yeah. And, and and there's a lot of, there are some people here, um, I see a lot of adoptees actually re referring to a guy called, um, a video by a guy called Paul, Paul Sunderland, and in which he kind of equates adoption trauma with PTSD, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's very plausible, uh, but not very hopeful. So <laughs> hmm. nobody talks about post-traumatic growth is, 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 the, is, is, the, is the main issue here. But before I get onto that, according to whose statistics you, you listen to, only 10 to 20% of people that go through traumatic stress events get PTSD, right? So that means that 80 to 90% don't. Mm. And obviously, we've got to look after the, the people that uh, have got, have got, the, have got the, the PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, when I was talking to somebody else about this the other day, they said, well, um, yeah, that that they've got PTSD, but they're in denial. You know, and I, so you can go down a, a, a rabbit hole of this. But so I said to this trauma um, researcher, this like a psychiatrist kind of researcher, and I said, so what's the difference between the difference? So what, what? Yeah, what's the difference between the difference? And she said, well, uh, so the PTSD, the ones that don't get PTSD, she she ran off a load of different. Um, factors and i said that's really interesting because all the factors that you've described there are external yeah they're not what's going on within the yeah. person it's the support that that person gets i said so what about the internal stuff yeah what about the internal stuff and she didn't have an answer and at that point, uh, there's there's various points where I have um, I'm not really good with authority, right? So I've I've only ever worked uh, with 
with my I wasn't good with that authority at school, not at university either. Not a rebel, but not so good. Uh, but especially like I've only worked worked with my dad. I didn't do very well working with with him. I, I struggled with some of his stuff. But I, I've never worked in a big organization. I've never had bureaucracy, and that really doesn't suit me at all. And the other times that I question authority is when somebody that I think should know the answers doesn't have them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going through some stuff, some financial stuff at the moment. And um, like people that I think should have the answers don't. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, when a shrink says, a shrink researcher, trauma researcher, says has no answers to the internal stuff going on. I'm thinking, hmm, you've lost a little bit of a. I, I, I've lost a little bit of my respect for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you can't answer that internal, that internal question. Um, so, what what's your take on this? Our. Um, the internal aspect to 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 coping um, with a a, a a crisis situation when um, when adoption is is in an adoption is is in danger of breaking down. What how how do you see the internal stuff? Well, I think that's where the difficult area lies, isn't it? Because you know, like I said before, the human nature is that we do internalize a lot of things in in the early days, is because, you know, you know, shame does take over, and and we don't want to be a failure, um, and I think that, I mean, certainly when I went through the process of of adopting, and it's not as in depth now, um, it is almost drilled into you that you know you you must do this and you must do that and you must be prepared, you must be prepared. But nothing can prepare you for when your when your children arrive because nobody can write down for you, um, and and the hum the human needs you know it's almost like we need to know what's going to happen, but we can't because the other side of being human is that internal factors nobody sees that, and until our children feel safe enough to show what's happening they're not going to show the real side. So everything that you get written down on paper about your children is not the child that you then adopt because once they're with you and they do feel safe, you're going to see a totally different child to the one that's been in foster care, been in wherever they've been. So there needs to be a process where the parent carers can access support for what's going on for them internally because they, by, by adopting you almost experience trauma yourself because you you internalize everything that your children bring with them now there are there are things out there like the therapeutic adoptive um services and but it's knowing what's out there and and what can they give you and then having the courage to hold your hands up and say do you know what this is not perfect I've not adopted this child. I've not, you know, what a lot of people on the outside say, I've not rescued this child from the system and given it love and it's all perfect. It's all rosy. Um, Because that's what a lot of naive people on the outside believe. So that kind of internal model for 
we both, you know, that it's almost kind of a, a tennis relationship going on there between you and your adoptive child because you're trying to heal their tra trauma and be supportive around that, which you sponge into yourself and you become traumatized. And if that is becoming toxic because you're getting blocked care because you're actually not getting that support, we go round and round. And that's when we come to that breaking point of, I just can't do this anymore. And it is, you know, again, it's that it's that self-preservation that we do and just go, hands up, can't do this, I've failed, have them back. And that's where we come to. And it is that that's that internal safety model of ourselves as human beings. Yeah. Where does the courage come from? You can't be taught that. That's not something you can be taught at all. There is, it's one of those... <laughs> It's deeper than that. It's your life experiences. It's it's the support package you've got around. It's your networking of support. It's somebody on the outside looking in, saying, you need to get somebody to help. So it's key that, you know, you do have other people around you and it's not just what's going on in your cellular home. Yeah. That we don't close those doors, which it's, so tempting to do you know it's kind of that you know your children can be difficult to manage you know your children need set routines you know your children don't like it if somebody says a certain word so to protect them you say okay so I won't allow x to look after them and I won't allow I won't take them to this place I won't take them to that birthday party because it's too busy but by not doing all of those natural things you then as a parent aren't seeing all those other parents in that natural communicative way that you would if you had a birth child. So in protecting our children because they need smaller groups of children and they need, you know, familiar people and all of those sort of things, you close those doors without sometimes knowing you've closed those doors. Yeah. Um. I was a bit lost in I was a little bit lost in thought there with that stuff um, for a minute, um, and I was I was thinking about that. You know, where is that courage? Where is where does it come from? And what helps it? For me, the the the, the answer that came to me is that the courage is is seen. It's seen. It's something that we see, um, and and the other model that came to mind because we're we're actually also talking about resilience here yes absolutely talking about resilience and i heard something quite a long a time ago a few years ago now that really stuck with me that you know kind of the the conventional model in in society the cultural model is that resilience is strengthened okay so um you've got you, you've got some stuff going on um you and, and and it's sold to us actually by this this is how resilience training people sell us this problem right so you're going through a problem whatever that problem may be you in, in your parenting or in your personal life and you need to be more resilient um i uh you need to come to my resilience gym and I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm going to strengthen your resilience like I would strengthen 
your muscles, right? And that's why you should come on my resilience training course because I, I was like you were. <laughs> then I and then I discovered the the five rules, the five ways to become more resilient in yeah. in, in thirty days. Um, and now I'm packaging that, and I'm going to sell it back to you, and, and, and it's going to cost you nine ninety nine. Uh, but if you buy today, it's four ninety nine. So the idea is that you are weak. Uh, I am resilient. Come to me, and I'll train you, and I'll strengthen your resilience. Right. So it seemed like it seemed like it's a muscle that's that's strengthened, and. Uh, but that's not actually the truth. Yeah. Resilience is seen. So we come to a crisis, um, big or small. We have no idea how we're going to get through that crisis. And yet we do. Yeah. And then we see how strong we always were, but we haven't seen it for ourselves. Yeah. So like resilience is an inside job. So culture says it's um, resilience is strengthened, courage is strengthened. Yeah. Whereas actually, resilience and courage are seen. It, it, it's uh, back to my Latin again. It's revela they, So uh, revelation comes from the word revelare, and that means to lay bare. And the metaphor that um, that uh, we uh, that always comes to mind when I th think about this. Is the the uh, the statue of David in Florence? Is it by Michelangelo? And Michelangelo is asked by this guy, "Where did you find? Where did you find um, David? Where, you know, when? No, no. It's, how did you make David?" And and Michelangelo said, well, "David was always there. I just chipped away yeah. stone to reveal David underneath." Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a revealing thing, a seeing thing, an insight, something that we see about ourselves, rather than a strengthening thing. And the the key difference between the two is that the insight can happen in a minute, right? So if if it's like going to the gym, we need to go for three times a week, mm -hmm. six months, and then we and then we're going to see X percent growth of our biceps. Yeah. We don't have to wait for it. Um, so anyway, it, it, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a scene. It and I think that it comes hand in hand with that. When we're at that that breaking point, we can't see that any longer because our self-esteem and, and our self-worth is so low, we can't see that any longer. And I think that's where it takes that that those people that know us well on the outside to go, but look, remember look back to the you manage this this was okay and we got through this and you know just to give you those reminders and right at that time you're not going to believe it and you will argue it you will argue that the pink was purple at that time but then that just unpicks and opens that door that when you're back in your own space it can open up that insight once again to go do you know what they were right i did get through that and we did manage to do those things but it takes that, you know, at that breaking point, it just takes that person to put the kettle on, give you a cup of tea and say, remember, because that's what it's worth. And that's what happens, you know, when right back at the beginning of, of, of our talk, when we say, you know, what do I see? 
I see parents and carers at that point that turn up at school and just need a cup of tea and that reminder to say, you can do this because you've been doing this for all this time and today's not that day. Yeah. That, that's the bottom line of where, where we get to. So it's somebody seeing the strength that we've forgotten in ourselves. Absolutely. Pointing that out to us. Yeah. Um, and I love the point, I love what you, the comment that you made about we'll fight it. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that reminds me of, um, I think culturally, we're not very good at accepting compliments or accepting compliments, whether that's, well, whatever that compliment is, is about. So, you know, oh, well done. Uh, people say this to me, like, I, I, you know, I, they say, oh, um, well, how many how many downloads you know say well, how's the podcast doing i said well we're we're on third we've just gone past thirty thousand downloads uh and um it's been going since april last year and they say oh that's great and i say yeah but um in my <laughs> there's always a but <laughs> there's a but yeah but we're talking yeah the but and for our american um american listeners there's the but it means that we're talking out of our butt right so there's the but with one T and the butt with two T's, um, and and I and I flip and I flip it. Um, I said, "Well, I, I don't know. I haven't, um, I'm I, I've got high expectations uh, in my old business. I I grew an education website or me and team, the web webmaster and people. It took us fifteen years, but we we got to thirty million, thirty million downloads a year, and and I've had thirty thousand downloads in in eighteen months. So. I don't think I'm doing really that well, you know. And it's like we we fight, we fight. The, yeah, absolutely. We fight, we fight the compliments and we absolutely. Cut back the compliments and and uh, and and the stuff. So what what if, that's me with a compliment uh, that's got nothing to do with adoption, right? But that's just me. What and and that's exactly the same. You know, you opened out this podcast saying what an amazing treat it was to have me talking on here, and I'm. I'm an adoptive mum and I'm a head teacher who set up a school for children that deserved it. That's, I'm just me. Um, and, you know, I don't, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I often don't tell people I'm a head teacher because I don't aspire to that model of that authority of head teacher. So when I tell people, I say I run a school for children with additional needs because I don't aspire to that model of suited and booted and strutting my thing up and down a corridor. That's not at all what I'm like. Um, I wear the same uniform as all the rest of the staff wear with a polo T-shirt and my muddy boots on out uh, out around the farm school. Um, because actually, you're right, authority. I never did well with authority at school. Um, and that's not the model that I wanted at all because education is not about authority. It's about opening up those doors and making it accessible and that's what the importance was but you know it like you say we compliments is not something we do really well with no. as a society at all so yeah i started the conversation by talking about a tree because i think um one of my favorite sayings um from a mentor i had a few years ago and he is responsible for why i do this in a roundabout way he says it's hard to see the picture when we're in the frame. Yeah. So why I see you as a tree is because you've got your own lived experience, which you've been generous with in terms of being an adoptive mom. 
And you've also got the experience of dealing with loads of other adoptive parents and on an ongoing basis, right? So and when we have a, an adoption agency professional on the, on, the, on the show who is perhaps also an adoptive mum uh, or adopted dad, um, their focus has been the adoption and, um, and post-adoption, n- not, not so much. So they only see their perspective, and it's quite a short-lived perspective, whereas the kids coming to your school, they might be there for years. So you, 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 you see what's going on for the adoptive parents over years. Yeah, uh, 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 and you see them at, at at breaking point, and you see them before breaking point, and after they've come through breaking point, it's all been yeah. okay, right? Absolutely. And that's why I saw you as a treat because your perspectives, your perspective is way deeper, way more long term than like an adoption, an exec director of an adoption agency who who whose focus is quite short term and and in the adoption, and um. They may do some stuff post adoption. This has been one of the perspective shifts shift that, that I've seen. Right, so I've been thinking. I came into this world of adoption um, professionally. I started picking up gigs with um, speaking gigs with adoption agencies. I thought that's great. I'll be able to share what I've learned as an adoptee, who and who also has six seven years experience of helping kids understand their emotions. Right. Um, and and I'll be able to do the kind of like training in that, and then so the training gigs, a few of them came, and then they, they, there's there's been negligible training. Mm. Yeah. And why is that? Um, well, I thought it was me, right? So I changed my approach and trying to do this stuff. And what I what I actually discovered, what I had an insight was actually adoption agencies are about adoption, yeah, not post adoption. Yep. So. That's a long way of saying that, but if you, you know, if you're looking for support, listener, find somebody that focuses on post-adoption, fine, because the adoption agencies are not set up for that. Uh, absolutely not, and you know, and there are a few people, you know, even though you know my role is as head teacher, um, but I'll share with you that I had an email just yesterday from. Um, a, a family who were at breaking point and and unfortunately did break, um, and their they their little one came back into the the system, thankfully only for a year, um, and was able to to you know reconnect with their family and went back to their family after a year in a, a children's residential home, um, and they've emailed me this morning to just keep me updated on what's happening. And let me know that she's just finished her college placement and she's taken the rest of this year out and she's applied for a university placement um, for the start of the year. You know, and what an amazing journey that the family were able to get the support that they needed and and look at themselves as a family and what they could do. And, you know, and actually were able to reconnect. And it's such a positive journey. And, you know, to be able to to hear the positives on the other side is just such a it's just so valued for me you know what more could i ask for so yeah i mean somebody else was talking it, 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 <laughs> that kind of um that option 
somebody talked else talked to me about respite and you're you're talking about basically a long respite yeah right? that's right um and I, i'd never even heard of that until until now so it, it's really those options um it's those it's those options and people not being able to see it um so mm. did we talk about that thing that was in that article that was in the Sunday Times at the start of the year last time? Did I talk we did, that? yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, so listeners, there was a a, a trustee of a, an adoption organisation here in the UK um, did an article about the breakdown of of her uh, uh, adoption, and it drove me nuts um, because. The the she she'd written this article. Um, she was obviously in, in. I can I've I've got empathy for her right now. Actually, she was in the art. She she was at such. She was at breaking point. She asked for. Um, she was searching out some therapy in her area. And she and then she said and, and I found out I couldn't get it in my area. And I was expecting her to say. So I moved to a different area, or so I went. I, I tapped into a different resource. She didn't. She couldn't see that option, and and uh, and the and and, and the um, the adoption failed because she was out of options. So you need some options. That's what you need to see. We, when when we're in the dark about something. We need to move into the light where we can see other options. And it's that knowing how to move into the light and where to go with that. Um, I'll share my experience, just you know, my, my recent experience. You know, I've I'm not keen on labels and diagnoses and and all those sort of things unless there is a clear benefit for that. Um, and from Although I've I've known what what the the need is from for my little boy, um, he now needs that because school are finding things more difficult and he's finding it more difficult at school. Um, so, um, I went back to our um support after adoption local authority team to request um a psychological assessment for my little boy. Um, it took me a year to get that agreed of back and forth and you know and that frustrates me on the level that you know I'm somebody with a lot of knowledge around this and there are a lot of adopters out there that don't have that knowledge of, of what to say and how to say that and to fight that corner so it took me a year I eventually got that psychological assessment for him that's come back we've got the the assessment report um says exactly what I expected it to say there's no surprises for me in there at all and now that's where it stops. So it states very clearly what therapy he needs and what support he needs. And then that's now ball back to me to go and try and find that. Um, and this is where the frustration lies because how does a general parent do that? How do you go and find that support? Where do you go and find that support from? Because that's the, that's the difficulty without you know you need your agency to signpost you where do you go for that how do i how do i access that who do i go and access to because some's through your gp some's through private it's such a minefield yeah yeah um and but yeah a year so you know this persistence 
And yeah. we talked about this. You, you mentioned the determination word before we started yeah. the recording. It's bloody minded, just sticking with it, and 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 that's the solution to most stuff, right? Yeah. Like sticking, you know, Nike. So don't you know, just do it. Just do it. No, no, just do it. Uh, but then we make up all these, we make up all these, you know, reasons that we can't. Like I had that before the podcast, actually, before I started the podcast. So uh, back in March last year, I was chatting to a marketing mentor of mine um, and I was updating on what I was doing. And she said, oh, so you're enjoying the, doing the podcast? So you said, yeah, that's great. Love it, love it. Time to do your own. I said, well, no, I've done a podcast training course and um, it's too complicated. Um, and no, I, I, you know, I, can't, I, I can't do it. I haven't got time. It's not going to... And she said, well... Just do it, Simon. And I said, no, I can't. I can't. I don't know how to do the editing. And she just said, right. Well, you need, you need um, simple cast. You need Zoom to have conversations with people. You've got Zoom, Simon, because we're having this conversation on Zoom. So that's the first. That's that. You got one button. You need simple cast, right? It's fifteen dollars a month or sixteen dollars a month, and, and and you need a simple cast account, and that will you upload your audios have your interviews download the audios upload them to simplecast and 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 it sends it out to the to the different podcast platforms like iTunes and you need uh Canva so Canva is the little graphics program that you use to 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 create pictures to share on social media that's all you need you don't need to do any editing just do it and i went and i still came up with that. Yeah. I still came up with uh, an excuse, right? And there's and always said, a but. Yeah, there's always a but. <laughs> and I said, but, and she said, just do it. And I went, okay, I will. So we, th- that's the answer. Is that you, you can't really you can't sell a book about persistence, can you? That just says right. just do it. If it just if the book had just do it on every page, who, who's going to buy that book? Nobody's going to buy that book. It, you know, stick with it. If, you know, another book. He said, "It said stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. Forget about the butts. Stick with it, stick with it." For, you know, it's, it's you not, almost need to do a mind map of what what your plan is in the middle, all your excuses, and then after every excuse, but just do it, just do it, <laughs> and then we'll be good to go. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, so, is there a question that I've not asked you? that you want me to no i think we you know we could go round and round and cover absolutely everything because there's so many aspects um to this i think you know i think the clear message that i would just like to get over to listeners is you know don't give up um the reason think about the reasons you you made that decision in the first place to to adopt your amazing children and you know remember that self-worth that you have done this you do an amazing job and be curious on that day. Why are you feeling that? You know, I wonder why today is that day. Because actually, I mean, my experience is the days when you get there are not the most tricky days. The days before that are usually the worst ones. And it's the day the day when something quite minor happens. I always, I like to think of, of myself as being a, a Coca-Cola bottle. And that if your Coca-Cola bottle's empty because everything's going great, you can fill it up with lots of things. But when your Coca-Cola bottle is quite full 
and you've reached that small bottleneck at the top, you can put in the smallest little thing and you're going to fizz out the top of that Coca-Cola bottle. So I consider that actually I need to do my things to just empty out my Coca-Cola bottle, you know, and make sure that my bottle is empty enough to manage all those things that come in. So I just think of me as being a bottle and I need to do my own thing and you need to have some some self-time to be able to manage. Yeah, fantastic. And have you got a question for me? Um, I think my, my one question for you is, um, throughout these podcasts, has there been anything that's really frustrated you about the answers that, that adoptive parents have given you? What's no. your biggest frustration? Has there been no. has there been something where people have said to you, for example, you know, um, I do give up or I have given up or, you know, or that kind of, has there been anything that's really frustrating? I know you've said that about professionals and... Um, nothing from an adoptive parent, no. no. Nothing from an adoptive parent has frustrated me. Um, the article that I related to, the, 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 this... Um, um, that I, that I've, we discussed about this adopted parent who's a trustee of an adoption organization and who didn't uh, who, who couldn't see another way forward that doesn't frustrate me uh, my reaction is uh, very judgmental should we say on that um very judgmental so I, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to go that because it's not it's not it's not it's not, I don't think it's fair um I, and the reason I'm, I'm just going to explain for the listeners the reason for my, my my asking that question is I just think it's key to know that actually the people that have these conversations all the time we're not judgmental and we're not frustrated by anything that adoptive parents do and that's why my reason for asking you that question ah. no matter what's said we're not frustrated by what adoptive parents do. You were judgmental about the fact that she didn't keep going. She didn't just do it. But we're not judgmental about what adoptive parent, the decisions that people make. Actually, we want to be there to support. We want to help them see that there are new green leaves on the other side. Yeah. That was my reason for asking that question. Fantastic. Um I would say the biggest thing, whatever the opposite of frustration is, the biggest thing, the thing that uh, that really that I that I that really makes me my heart sing, is is the when the adoptive parent realizes it's about them, not the kid. Yeah, the self awareness thing, because. I think that that is spot on, and I, me and my wife haven't got any kids, and I know that our relationship starts with me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about changing me, not about changing her, and I don't always remember that clearly, but I know that in my heart of heart, and and when when parents get that, I've heard some. I had some secondhand stuff actually on that I found frustration. So I was talking to a TBRI practitioner who said 
parents ring me up and ask me essentially fi fix my kid. Mm. Now, I've never had a conversation like that with an adoptive parent. Um, but I, if I had, if I had had a conversation that was a bit like that, I guess that would have frustrated me, but I, I've been fortunate enough that I haven't. And I suppose I've had a few conversations like that at breaking point. Um, and I've managed that by talking about what can we put in a toolkit to think about fixing. And when you start to open up and that's, it's a little bit about, you know, the, back to that curiosity. I wonder what we could put in a toolkit to start this fixing. Again, it just starts that thinking back and actually what can I put in a toolkit? And it's just bringing it back to actually we're there, we're the adults, we're the parents, we're the carers. There's no magic wand that's going to make this okay. And that's that's not just children that adopted, that's for every child. They need adults to support them, love them, care for them, yeah. and teach them on life's journey. Yeah, I I, I love that uh, gentle shift because if you say if you if somebody said uh, somebody said to me, um, fix my kid, and I I said back to them, no, it starts with you, then we'd be into an argument, wouldn't we? Absolutely. I, I love the gentle transition. To, to, to what you said I think that's uh, I think that's uh, brilliant and, and and genius and that's the genius like that you get from um from all those conversations with um, yeah with, with adopted parents and uh, going back to Dan Hughes um his um the e of, of his pace model the empathy Absolutely. thing you know you don't we, we don't uh, but there's that there's that fine line between um yeah, so the like a, a coaching model is about empathy and then moving forward rather than just validation. Yeah. Validation just sends us further down the hole, and that's that's what we I see a lot of within adoptees. They'll they'll get together and 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 send each other further down the hole. Yeah, um, and they validate one another. And if you do anything that is curious, like asking a curious question, yeah. then. Um, then they shut you straight down because you're saying no, you're invalidating my feelings. This is what happens on on, on you know like yeah. on, on on Facebook, um, and that's that's nowhere to go. So thank you very much. Um, we'll put very a link much. through to the we'll put a link through to the school um, so people can find out more about that. And um, brilliant. Thanks so thanks so much, Kate. It's been a you're very welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, listeners. We'll speak to you very soon. Cheers. Bye bye.